Pie. I'm John Moscow. And I'm Amy Halpern Lass. Welcome to Ethical Schools, where we discuss strategies for creating inclusive and equitable schools and youth programs that help students to develop both commitment and capacity to build ethical institutions. Our guest today is Melissa Rivers, a native of North Dakota. Melissa has been a rural Alaskan educator for 13 years eight as a high school science teacher, and five as principal of the Scammon Bay School in the Lower Yukon School District. Scammon Bay School goes from pre-K through 12th grade and serves just under 250 children, or about half the city's population. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you for having me. Would you tell us a bit about Scammon Bay, its geography, and the people who live there? Surely. Um, Scammon Bay is made up of 99% Yupik Eskimos, which are Alaska Native people. It is located on the west coast of Alaska, about 700 air miles from Anchorage, almost directly on the same latitude as Anchorage. We're one river mile from the Bering Sea um, in the Little River, and so we have some pretty gnarly weather that comes through here, as you can imagine, being on the Bering Sea coast. We are built on the north side of the Uskanuk Mountains. It's a volcanic ridge that's probably 20 to 25 miles long. And it is beautiful here. It's mostly tundra. Um, yeah. And you've mentioned when we talked before that basically it's a subsistence economy. Can you talk some about, you know, how people make their living and what the town is like? Yeah, um, a lot of people who live here um, live a subsistence lifestyle, meaning that they hunt or gather for most of their food. Um, and so that could be anything from salmon in the summertime and halibut and berries in the summertime to moose and seals in the fall. Um, and then they set nets under the ice in the wintertime for white fish and other types of fish hunting fox for making clothing, and then also seal hunting again in the spring. Um, and it's just kind of this big circle of subsistence. And so people here don't buy a whole lot of food from the stores, um, and they rely mostly on the wildlife and the, the land to provide them with their, their food. It's really interesting. We looked at the district website and a few of the principles that frame education as the responsibility of the whole community really impressed us. Um, these were the community educates the whole child, decision-making is a shared responsibility, and the people, groups, organizations, and agencies that comprise our community have a responsibility to the education of our children. That sounds very progressive to us. Yeah, I think that, you know, oftentimes, especially in these smaller communities, the school is kind of a, a just a natural gathering place for people. And so it's everybody's responsibility to grow the whole child. And that begins at home with the parents being the first teachers. And then it's our job as the educators at the school to kind of take what the community wants, what the community values and the cultural values to instill in the students what they want to see when they leave school. What are some of the ways that, that these principles sort of get carried out in practice? I mean, how, how do they get interpreted on a day-to-day -day basis? 
Yeah. So actually last night we just had our first community CRESL meeting and CRESL stands for culturally responsive, embedded social and emotional learning. And so we just had our first community meeting and we really got a chance to get ideas from the community of what they want to see being done here in the school or taught up here in the school. And the one thing that came up a lot was the word yuyohak. And that just kind of means way of life. It's a, it's a Yupik word and it means the way of life. So, you know, how, how people interact with each other, how they handle grief, how they share their food, how they share, you know, if one family is struggling with food, another family who was blessed and bountiful in their food, how they share that. And so that was brought up a lot. You know, we're in the very, very, very early planning stages of this because we just had the first ever community meeting of that. So we're excited to see where that goes and uh, just see what the community wants us to be doing here at the school. Has the community been doing some of these things sort of just on a day-to-day basis, even before it's become formalized as, as a project? I mean, this was your first meeting, but what's sort of the, the basis that you're resting it on? Yeah, our community and our parents have taken an active role in making sure that their children are educated wholly, not just educationally, but spiritually, emotionally. And so um, our teachers try the best that they can. And we have about 50% of our teaching population is local teachers from Scamabay who were raised here, went to school here, went to college to get their teaching degree and came back roughly about 50%, maybe 40, 35, 40%. Um, but then the teachers that have come in from the outside have been here quite a, quite a long time. So the teachers have really taken a role in saying, man, what do the parents want to see? What can the community come out and do to help educate the kids? And so we have a d- couple different groups in town who come up and work with the kids and one of our main groups that comes up and is just such a pleasure to have in the school on a pretty regular basis is our elders and just their whole idea of their calmness that they bring to the, to the building. I mean, when you get 230 kids in a school, pre-K through through 12, that has the ability to get kind of loud sometimes, right? And a little bit rambunctious, but these elders kind of bring this sense of calming to the, to the school. And then we also have an Alaska cultural standards. So we all know about the common core standards and Alaska has their own set of common core standards, but we also have something called the cultural standards and our teachers are using those cultural standards in their daily lessons to use the students culture to explain a topic. Because some of our kids struggle with, you know, things that a kid in the lower 48 might see every day, a stoplight, we have a stop sign in town, but um, we don't have any stoplights, and there's not even any of those in Bethel. You have to fly all the way to Anchorage to go see a stoplight or a train or, you know, just some of those things that are everyday occurrences for kids in other places. Those aren't everyday occurrences or maybe even every five-year occurrences for some of our kids. So trying to use their, their culture and what they're familiar with to teach the same concepts that other students are expected to know. That's wonderful. I mean, that really is what equity looks like, I think. Yeah. So for the last 17 years, the Alaska Humanities Forum has run cross-cultural exchanges. Their sister school program operates 
throughout the school year, matching a teacher and five students from a rural system community and a, a teacher and five students from urban Alaska. And these teams seem to work through a curriculum on cross-cultural understanding and then take turns visiting and hosting each other. You recently had a group of students from Anchorage visit Scammon Bay, which is how we found out about you. We read an article about the visit. And in past years, students from Scammon Bay have visited Anchorage. Would you tell us about that? Yeah, the sister school exchange for last year was our fourth year in the program. And so we have had actually we have only kept it with middle school students so far. We've, we haven't brought it up to our high school students. And one reason for that is just with how small our school is, a lot of our high school kids are busy with athletics and other things that they have going on. So, you know, whether it be academic events that they're in, like academic decathlon or tsunami bowl or basketball, volleyball, those things. So we said, man, this would be a really cool program for middle school kids. And so we've kept it at our middle school and they've actually attended Juno. They've, they've, we've switched with Juno. We've never switched with Anchorage until last year. And so when our kids had the chance to go to Juno, they got to go on a ferry. They got to go to a movie. They got to go out camping on this island. What my teacher who went, she's like, I have to go stay on an island and I think I have a tent. I don't know. So <laughs> that was kind of interesting for her. So the kids are just doing things that city kids, I mean, you know, a lot of people wouldn't consider Juno a big city, but it's very more urban than Scamavate, much more urban than Scamavate. Um, and so our kids have gotten to go do those experiences. Now, last year, we didn't get to do the exchange part. So we got to host kids here, but we didn't get to go to Anchorage. And that was just due to um, our students not getting through the required curriculum. Um, the SSE program does require a curriculum. And I'm sure, I, I haven't ever seen the curriculum, but I'm sure it's, you know, what's the differences and similarities between rural places and urban places. Um, and just really making students aware in Alaska that there's this whole other world <laughs> that exists beyond beyond the rural setting if you live in Scam Bay. And then if you're in Anchorage, there's this whole other world that the kids don't even realize exists in rural Alaska. So, What did the kids talk about? What did they want to know about one another's lives? Oh, man, you know, just the same things that all kids wanted to know. What's your favorite music? Or what do you like to do on the weekends? Who's your favorite singer? Um, you know, they... It was interesting to me because the students from Anchorage and the students from Scamabay dressed the same. They, you know, they wore the jog, kids nowadays like to wear the jogger style pants, you know, that are tighter at the bottom. And they have similar haircuts. Just talked about everyday teenage things like what's your Instagram chat name? What's your name on Facebook? You know, those kind of things that teenagers talk about. So beyond that, and it's fascinating that that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Put together, you know, is beyond that. Um, what, if any, lasting impact have these exchanges had in the past? Do you have a sense of how the visits either from Juno or, you know, Anchorage or to Juno or Anchorage, you know, change how your students see their options or see the world? The yeah. The world? Yeah, I think that the kids that have had a chance to go to Juno, they're probably juniors now. 
So they would have been like eighth graders when they went. And so they're juniors. They still talk about that trip and they still talk about how fun it was to ride on the ferry and um, how scary crossing some of the roads were because of the cars, you know, and I think that those trips make or allow our students the chance to say, man, I could live here. Like I could leave Scam Bay if I wanted to, and I could go to college and I could get a job in Juneau. Our kids really enjoyed their time. And I think that it makes when they go off to college or when they go off to training, not so scary, you know, cause they've done it once or twice and they've, they've seen what it's like. Um, going to college even if you're from the lower 48 or if you're from Anchorage, going to college is scary. You know, you've always had your mom and dad there to, to fix things, right? When they go wrong, like, oh man, I got a, I got a speeding ticket or, or I need to go to the doctor or I need somebody to buy my books. Like mom and dad are always there. Well, for our kids, if they have not even experienced going to the city it's, it's going to be really scary, never stepping foot into a bank. And the first thing that they have to do is go get a bank card. You know, that's scary. And so the kids that have gotten to do this exchange, I think that it's been really impactful for them. And then the kids that come out from Anchorage, man, some of the things that they said when they left here were, they were like, I didn't know that the kids in rural Alaska were just like us. You know, they're just kids. They're kids that like to play basketball and listen to music. And a lot of the kids from Anchorage, and we, we actually hosted one of the boys. He stayed in our, in our home with us. Um, I have a 16-year-old boy, and he was a 16-year-old boy, so it just, you know, worked out. He said he felt such a sense of family being here. He said, when I'm in the city, we're so busy. We have basketball practices every night or we have play practices or my brother has saxophone lessons or we have choir practices and all the driving back and forth. In Scambia, he just felt a really sense of family and community and how important that is to the culture here. When we were talking before the show, you mentioned that many of your students learn through being artistic, through creating things. How does that learning style fit with the standardized tests that the students have to pass? How do you adapt your teaching to fit the students' learning style and, and at the same time prepare them for the tests? Yeah. Oh, those standardized tests. Um, the standardized tests that we take is called the, the one here in Alaska is called the PEAKS. And it's a standardized test. It's not written for rural Alaska students. <laughs> and so, you know, the teachers know what kind of standards they need to be focusing on to teach those skills, I guess, that they need to, to, to master the test. And so they're adapting the ways that they're teaching. Um, our kids are very artistic. They like to do hands-on stuff. And so anything that they can do, even if it's taking two pieces of paper and having them match them, just the fact that they're moving two pieces of paper together you know, that's a hands-on activity. But the more that our kids can do with, with coloring and drawing and creating and making and using their hands to sew something, the better. You know, those standardized tests are a struggle. You know, I'm not gonna, not gonna lie, they are a struggle. Our kids, are, our kids struggle to sit down and take a standardized test because it's looking at a computer and it's a lot of reading, looking at a computer, 
and picking up the best answer. That's not the way that a lot of our kids learn the best. So is that tendency to learn through creating part of the Yupik culture? It is. There's a there's a program and I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. It's called Village Math and Science. It's I through haven't. the Alaska Native Knowledge Network. And so you can you can look them up on the on the internet. But there's this whole entire series called Village Math and Science, and it talks about the traditional ways of doing math, where the um, older people, the older generation, would use different measurements on their body as measuring tools. And so, so like if you were to make a, a shirt, you know, they call them cuss books here. It's these almost like a smock. The women wouldn't measure with a, with a measuring tape like I would. You know, I'd want to know, okay, I need to cut this to 42 inches. They would put their elbow from their elbow to the tip of their fingers and say, okay, you need one and a half arm lengths to, to measure. And I just think that that is ingrained and taught to our students from a pretty young age of using what they have right at their hands to create something and not needing to rely on Western technology. So I'm really fascinated by the task that your teachers and the parents have in terms of, as going back, I mean, what you just mentioned, but also when you mentioned that you don't have a stoplight, for example, or you don't have intersections with hundreds of cars stopping and you know, doing all these different things. So do the, do the kids sort of in any way see it as a game? Sort of like, well, this is what we do, but these people who have designed these tests and this world that we're going to have to go into or we want to go into after we leave Scammon Bay has this whole different set of things and rules and stuff like that. What's your sense of how the kids integrate these two different worlds? Yeah, it is, it is two different worlds. And I think that um, a lot of our parents and the students understand that not to be a successful person by any means, but if they want to leave Scammon Bay and go to college, they're going to have to be able to keep up with the curriculum, you know, that the college has. And they're going to have to learn how to do some of the things that kids at their age of 18 who live in Anchorage already know how to do. And so we make all of our seniors, we have a class called Senior Capstone. And this is a big focus and a kind of a push for us in, in our school, not in the district, but in our school. And so all of our students leave Scamma Bay with a plan, kind of like a portfolio of, okay, I've applied to these, these colleges and I've got these letters of recommendation and I have these scholarships set up and here's my resume and here's my budget. Like, this is, this is where I want to work. Um, this is how much I'm going to make a month. And this is how much my rent's going to be. And so we have them leave here with a, with a plan. Follow through with that plan in August when the time comes to actually go to college. You know, that doesn't always happen. But in May, when they graduate from here, they have a plan. And so I think that this community values education and the students being successful adults and good members of our society. And we have a lot of community and parental support through that. 
So speaking of being part of the society, both locally and on a larger scale, you know, you've mentioned, of course, the Scammon Bay is a subsistence community where people are living and eating, for example, very close to the land. How is climate change affecting the community? And how do students view the effects of climate change? Um, do they feel threatened? Do they feel a need to fight against it or to cope with it? Has it impacted the community in any direct sense? In a direct, direct sense, no. But you can certainly see the effects of climate change. We, our water has gotten a whole lot warmer in the Bering Sea um, over the course of the last few years. There are marine mammals that are washing up on shore that are, you know, dead. Um, the wintertime is a really important time for the gathering of logs, the gathering of wood to heat homes, and things are not freezing up as fast as they used to, and they're thawing a whole lot quicker. And so I think that, you know, climate change is here. Our students are aware that climate change is here. They have been studying about climate change in their science classes, fighting against it. I don't think that our students are necessarily fighting against it. I think that they're going to figure out ways to cope with it. What about people who are not part of the, the Yupa community? Do students have a sense of obligation? We sometimes talk about our universe of obligations, so who matters? Do the students talk at all about how their actions might impact definitely future generations, but also people in other places geographically, and what about animals other than humans? I, I wouldn't say that, uh, no. I, I mean, we don't talk about that a whole lot, or the students don't talk about that a whole lot because our focus really is this area that, that they live in. But a lot of our kids want to, they want to go do something somewhere else. They want to be a nurse. They want to be a pilot, you know. So they're going to go go live somewhere, and they all have goals and plans to to be part of that community, whether it be Scam Bay or whether it be Bethel, Alaska or Anchorage, Alaska or Dodge City, Kansas, you know, wherever they decide to end up. And yeah, they talked about making sure that they're taking good care of the animals in their area that they live and not ruining that for, you know, to make sure that those animals come back there. Last week when we were talking, you mentioned a new program for Scammon Bay students to spend time in Anchorage learning vocational skills and experiencing urban life. How will that work? Tell us about it. Oh man, this is something that I am just off the charts excited about. So it's been in the works for a couple of years. We had a superintendent a couple of years ago who came out here. He had been up in Northern Alaska for a while, up in Kaktovik, Alaska, had been in Barrow. And he came to Lower Yukon School District and he just said, man, these kids have one track and it's college and not all of our kids are college bound. And we all said, yeah, but you know, I'm dealing with four high school teachers and I got 40 kids, 50 kids. You, you can only really have one track. You have to teach ninth graders algebra one, 10th graders need geometry, you know? And so there was one track and he said, no, we need to have three tracks. One track is college. One track is a community leader 
So that's somebody who is going to stay within the community and they're going to be part of the school board and they're going to be part, they're going to be a tribal administrator. They're going to be a, a subsistence gatherer for their family, but they're going to be a community leader. Then the third track is the vocational track. So the vocational track has really come to life the last couple of years. And our school district purchased a hotel in Anchorage and partnered up with Anchorage School District. And Anchorage School District has agreed to have a afternoon session for Lower Yukon School District kids and Anchorage School District kids. So it's not just going to be our students in this afternoon session. Our kids are going to be able to interact with kids from Anchorage. And they're going to offer to them about 12 to 15 different vocational choices and those are going to range from small engine repair to cosmetology to culinary arts to working to get their private pilot's license and our kids will go in for nine weeks at a time they will do their scam and bake classes distance ed or through the computer so the morning will be set up or they'll do their classes through distance ed or through the computer and then in the afternoon they have an advisory time so they'll be working on um, some of the soft skills of having a job that some of our students lack and, you know, a good time to teach them. And then um, they will have their vocational skill for four hours in the afternoon. And so they still get to be LISD students. We don't have to have kids go off to boarding schools anymore to go and have these awesome experiences. They get to stay at home. They get to be scam and base students, and yet we get to offer them some vocational training with some of the best trained professionals in Alaska. So you mentioned boarding schools, and I know you'd mentioned that in the past there was a history of you picked children being forced to go to boarding schools to separate themselves from their culture, but that students have continued in some numbers to go to boarding schools just because of the opportunities they have, and that this is now an opportunity where they'll be able to remain more part of the community, and also that the tax base will remain for the community. Can you talk a little bit about sort of the role of boarding schools, both for the students of this generation, but also for their parents or grandparents? Yeah. I guess I start with uh, the grandparents because that's really where the forcing children out of the homes to go to boarding schools began. So up until about 40 years ago, if the children of Scammon Bay wanted to go past eighth grade, they needed to go to boarding schools to go to school because, you know, our school ended at eighth grade. Our school ended here in Scammon Bay at eighth grade. And so they would go off to these boarding schools. And as a 13 or 14 year old, that probably 40 years ago certainly didn't travel as much as, as kids do today. <laughs> you know, you're being taken away from your parents and your family that you've been so accustomed to being around. And this is such a culture of family and community. And so the whole idea of boarding schools really has a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths about, you know, what their role played in the community or with, you know, in the school. And then, our students, we still have about three or four boarding schools in, in Alaska, and they're not those traditional boarding schools. <laughs> Kids aren't being forced to go to boarding schools anymore, but the options are there. And those schools can offer, they're, they're located in places that are a little bit more sought after to live. And so they can get professionals 
there who are trained in these vocational programs. And so the kids go there because they're like, well, I know that when I'm done with high school, I want to be a there's no classes at Scambay School that I can take to become a hair cutter. So I'm going to go to Nanana or Galena where they're teaching hair cutting skills. And man, I'm going to be the best hair cutter in Alaska. You know, that's no longer the case. And so the district wanted to bring this opportunity back to our kids so that they're leaving, but they're only leaving for nine weeks at a time. And they can go multiple times throughout the year. They're going to have that opportunity to go multiple times if, you know, they really liked it. And the tax base, like you said, the money gets to stay with Lower Yukon School District so we can continue to grow some of the programs that we're growing right here in Lower Yukon. Sounds like a game changer for those kids. I sure hope so. I am so excited about this, this program. We're going to be starting at second quarter of this year. And so that's coming up here in October. And I'm hoping to have a lot of kids go or want to go. Great. You mentioned that about half your teachers are from Scammon Bay or maybe slightly fewer than half. But you also said that teacher retention is an issue because of the isolated nature of the city. Are there are steps that would make it easier to attract and retain teachers? Yes, Walmart, um, malls, McDonald's. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, a lot of times the teachers that come really do feel isolated. You know, they're just missing their families. They're, you know, they're used to being in a place where they can get in their car and drive if they wanted to. And we don't have cars here. We don't have roads. There's a road from our airport, airstrip, and then the road goes for about a mile and a half to our dump, and then that's it. You know, you pass a bunch of houses along the way, you pass the school, and so can't really get out. And it's a very, very expensive plane ride um, to get to Anchorage, which is the nearest. We have a hub, which is Bethel, but the nearest place where there's shopping and restaurants and things like that, that's Anchorage. And that's a $1,000 round trip plane ticket. And so it's very expensive to, to leave. Um, and so a majority of our people leave in, at Christmas and then again at, in um, May. A lot of the teachers that have come in from the outside <laughs> have been here for five plus years and why that is I don't know that I can give you an exact answer um, I think that the school and the community the community especially is just a very welcoming place to guests of anybody you know anybody who comes in you're going to get a handshake you're going to get a hug you're going to get you know from all the kids all the people coming up to the school and I can't exactly tell you why our turnover has not been as bad as some other places, but I'm certainly happy for it. And I'm so thankful for the people who have come out here and, and worked and, and put in their time because it's an important job. You know, this job that we do is an important job and we've had some of the best doing, doing this job. You know, it's really very impressive that half or roughly whatever the figure is of your teachers are, folks from the community who've left and then decided that they wanted to come back and sort of play that leadership role you were talking about. Um, what do most students do after they graduate and when they leave Scammon Bay or come back? Yeah. So like I said, all of our students leave here with a plan, but then I preface that or maybe whatever the thing is, 
leaving, leaving high school, right? <laughs> and so a lot of the students truly end up staying in Scammon Bay for a little while. Um, they need to figure out what they want to do. It's expensive to go to college and training. It's expensive to have housing somewhere else. It's expensive to, you know, do anything <laughs> somewhere else. And the kids stay. They will find little odd jobs to do. It might be helping the parents take care of the younger siblings. It might be helping with subsistence activities because these are 18 and 19 year old men and women who just graduated who are quite physically able to do things so they can help gather food for their families until they can really figure out what they want to do. A lot of the young men and women by the time they're about 23 or 24 figure out, man, okay, I want to be a carpenter. And at 22, 23, 24, we'll enroll in a carpentry program and start working on that and find a job, whether it's here, whether it's in Bethel, Anchorage, maybe they're a traveling carpenter that goes around to build schools around the state. You know, the whole idea of I have to decide what I want to be right now, that doesn't happen with a lot of our kids right away. And that's okay. I think I wanted to be a veterinarian until I was like in 11th grade. And now I'm sitting in Scamabay, Alaska, you know, as the principal. So who would have thunk it? That was plan Q for me. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, our kids just, oh, go ahead. It must be challenging not to have role models. So, for example, I wouldn't suppose there are a whole lot of lawyers, for example, in Scammon Bay. So these kids have no idea what that means to be a lawyer. Right. Right. And if you if you were to come here, which I hope someday both of you can come here and visit me. Um, if you guys were to come here and you go to any, any of the classrooms, basically seventh grade on down and ask them what they want to be when they get older, you're going to hear probably three things, maybe four. Teacher, carpenter, a pilot and a doctor, because that's what we have here. You know, a lot of kids, oh my goodness, I'll actually, and cop, five things. You're going to hear those five things <laughs> because that's who they see. That's what, those are the jobs that we have here. And so you're right. There's not a lot, man, we don't have probably even a millionth of the jobs that there are in the world <laughs> for the kids to even explore, you know, so. Thank you so much. Is there anything you'd like to add before we wind up? You know, if any of your listeners are uh, aspiring teachers, I was 23 years old when I came to rural Alaska, and I've been here 13 years, and it's a pretty awesome place to teach. So if you're wanting, uh, wanting an adventure, rural Alaska is the place. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Melissa Rivers, principal of the Scammon Bay School in Alaska's Lower Yukon District. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. Check out our prior episodes and articles on our site, ethicalschools.org. We have a new article up on how college and career counselors can help students consider the ethical impacts of their career choices. We're on Facebook and Twitter, at Ethical Schools, and Instagram. Until next week.